I'd like you to turn with me to the first letter, the uh, first book of Samuel, and uh, chapter 3. First book of Samuel and chapter 3. From verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no widely spread vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place. Now his eyes had begun to wax dim so that he could not see. And the lamp of God was not yet gone out. And Samuel was laid down to sleep in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. That the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down. And it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli that I have spoken concerning his house, from the beginning even unto the end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever, for the iniquity which he knew, because his sons did bring a curse upon themselves, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated with sacrifice nor offering forever. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord hath spoken unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he spake unto thee. And Samuel told him every whit, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. And Samuel grew. 
and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Shall we bow together in a word of prayer? We need to tonight. It's hot. I expect some of you were weary. And so we need very especially, we've already committed ourselves to the Lord, but there is an anointing for us all. And uh, that anointing can quicken us and renew us and enable both me to speak the word of the Lord and you to hear the word of the Lord. So let's just uh, take hold of the Lord together. Lord, this is um, a warm and a sticky evening and many uh, uh, gathered here have been very busy making preparations for coming. And Lord, you know all the things that have filled our hearts and minds through these last hours. And now, Lord, we want to ask for your special grace in this time this evening. Will you lift us above the uh, heat and the closeness of the atmosphere? And will you enable us, Lord, to really fulfill your purpose for this time this evening? We don't want to miss anything, Lord. And you know, uh, Father, uh, that um, it is entirely possible for me to fall back upon my own energy and um, uh, 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 ability to talk. And Lord, we can just uh, hear what we want to hear. Lord, we thank you for that anointing which you've provided through the finished work of our Lord Jesus. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who makes it a glorious and living reality in us and to us. Now we want to take that anointing of grace and power for this speaking of your word and for our hearing that, Lord, your purpose in this time be fulfilled and that something be deposited in our hearts and lives that will work out um, in a very real way in the days that lie ahead. Lord, we commit ourselves to you with thanksgiving in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. In the responsibility I have for these times, I have had laid on my heart, I believe by the Lord, um, four characters in the Old Testament very closely associated together. They are the four characters that established the kingdom of God. And uh, so really what I want to talk about is um, the kind of spiritual character God requires if the kingdom of God is going to be established. If we're going to be involved in the coming of the kingdom of God and in the establishing of the kingdom of God. And um, these qualities uh, that the Lord looks for in us, exemplified in these four characters, either positively or negatively, um, these qualities are the same qualities that the Lord looks for in the building of the house of the Lord and in the fulfilling of the purpose of 
God and, of course, also in any recovery work. So these four characters are Samuel, Saul, David, and Solomon. <laughs> now, it's, uh, you often hear messages on uh, Samuel and you often hear messages on David, but you don't always hear so often messages on Saul and you don't often hear messages on, um, on Solomon. So these are the four characters. Now, tonight, uh, in this opening time, and we have trusted the Lord that you'll all be able to stay awake, and that I will too. Um, uh, uh, I want to dwell on Samuel. Uh, Samuel is one of the greatest characters in the Bible. And, of course, in Jewish tradition particularly, Samuel has an enormous place only next to Moses and Elijah. Actually, Samuel is recognized as one of the great turning points in the purpose of God. Abraham, Moses, and Samuel. These are the three great turning points according to our Jewish tradition um, concerning the purpose of God for his people. And it is absolutely true as far as Samuel is concerned, he was the one destined by God to bring in the kingdom. He was to bring in the true king and to bring in the kingdom and also to bring in the one who would build the house of the Lord. Now, I believe that that has a tremendous amount for us. Um, when we think of this, here is this um, uh, remarkable man standing at a turning point in history, and it is almost as if God was, he gave God such a place that God was able to do in him what was necessary and what was required in order for the Lord to fulfill his uh, purpose. In actual fact, this matter of character is the all-important uh, matter. Um, there can be no bringing in of the kingdom of God. There can be no establishing of the throne of God, of the authority and rule of God in our lives or in our life together unless there is a very real spiritual character. We're living in days when an enormous emphasis is being placed upon outward things. Now I do not for one single moment dissociate myself from the need for signs and wonders and for that which is supernatural. In other words, the breaking in of God into our circumstances, into our lives, into our communities, into our nations. I would not for one single moment dissociate myself from that. I believe with all my heart that there needs to be 
evidence for the Lord amongst us, an evidence of the Lord in our lives, an evidence for the truth of the gospel that we preach, an evidence for the counsel of God that we proclaim. But we are living in days when, very sadly, an emphasis is being put upon signs and wonders without always the same emphasis being placed upon the absolute and vital need of spiritual character. In the end, signs and wonders pass away. Miracles cease. All those outward things are but temporary and transient. But spiritual character that the Holy Spirit has produced through circumstances in our lives, through situations in our lives, through the things that we face in our families, in our businesses, in our fellowship together as God's people, spiritual character worked in all these situations and circumstances, that is forever. And that is why we have often said that the worker is far more important to God than the work he does. God will take unbelievable um, uh, steps with a worker of his if he feels that um, uh, he is not getting all that he wants uh, for uh, future service and I don't mean just down here either I mean eternal service uh, I'm not putting it very well but what I'm trying to say is this that there are times when God takes a servant of his out of the work and out of the ministry and puts him on one side for sometimes years and does in that person a work that you and I don't even see at the time. We would like to have them on the platform. We would like to have them in the pulpit, as it were. We would like to see them visible amongst God's people. But the Lord will take these steps sometimes because for him, this matter of spiritual character is all important. But spiritual character has a price attached to it. Although it is the nature of the Lord Jesus and the life of the Lord Jesus in us, though it is actually all of the grace of God that that life and character of the Lord Jesus could be made real in us, nevertheless there is a price to pay. And that is the big problem. Because it is at the cost that we all tend to falter and hesitate. And so when we talk about spiritual character, spiritual character as we see it in Samuel, spiritual character as we see it or do not see it in Saul, spiritual character as we see it in David, spiritual character as we see it in Solomon, uh, then we are coming face to face with the heart of the matter. You and I, we are people living in the very shadow of the coming kingdom. We are living actually in the very threshold of the appearance, the public 
appearance of the kingdom of God with our Lord Jesus. Actually, if we're born again, then already this kingdom of God has come to us. We are born into the kingdom. We have entered the kingdom by a new birth. We are in the kingdom. But the question remains, can God do in me, can he do in you, what is required to bring us to the throne? Can he do in you and can he do in me that work which is required in the producing of genuine, eternal, Christ-like character that alone will be able to reign with the Lord Jesus in this kingdom. Now, that is my burden uh, for uh, these uh, times. And I lean on the Lord Jesus that he may enable me to communicate as much as possible on this matter. Tonight, I want to take Samuel. This amazing person at a great turning point in God's unfolding program and purpose. You know, you and I are basically at a turning point in God's program. We are so near to the coming of the Lord Jesus. All the signs are so clearly defined around us. They are speaking so loudly. And um, there is such a need for you and I in the confusion that is on all sides. And in this um, turning point, as it were, in the purpose of God, there is such a need for you and I to have the character of Samuel. For God to be able to, as it were, burn into us that same character that he got in Samuel. Well now, I mustn't spend any more time on introduction because this is our first evening and I know you're all very tired. We prayed that you'll be alive and awake and um, I mustn't help the enemy by being too long. So... Um, uh, um, the first thing I would like to say is this. If you and I are going to be involved in bringing in the king, bringing in the kingdom, if you and I are going to come to the throne of God and to reign with God's king in that kingdom, if you and I are going to have part in the building of God's house, part in its recovery, part in the fulfillment of God's purpose, then the first thing is this. We have to be unconditionally given to the Lord. There are no half measures, no percentages. It is not 60% given to the Lord, 80% given to the Lord, 90% given to the Lord. It is an absolute, unconditional being given to the Lord, my dear child of God. It is unbelievable to me that 
for you and I to reach God's end. Everything required, everything necessary has been given. All the grace of God is available to you and me to bring us from where we are now to the end of the law. No matter what the obstacles, no matter what the problems, no matter how great Satan might be, no matter if the whole of our circumstances are filled with demons, yet the grace of God has been made available to us to bring us from sinner to saint. To bring us from ugly people to an absolute being conformed to the image of God's Son. To bring us from babyhood to full maturity in the Lord. All the grace is there. And all the power of God's Holy Spirit, the power in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is made available to you and me to bring us from where we are now to the end of the Lord. But why is it that we don't avail ourselves of this grace? Why is it that we don't avail ourselves of this power of the Holy Spirit, this power of his resurrection? We all have excuses. We've either got complex personalities or deep inbuilt complexes that make it very difficult for the Lord. We are unique. We are the kind of people that somehow present to the Lord a unique problem. All the others he can take. But you and I have inherited something from our background or something from our culture or something from our circumstances or we have a husband or a wife that is an immovable obstacle or children that are so difficult or parents that are so difficult that you and I cannot come to the end of the Lord. What are we talking about? Do we really think that the Lord, when he saved us, had no idea what our circumstances would be or what our genetic history was? As if suddenly now the Lord is so surprised. He's saying, oh, I had no idea. When I saved so-and-so, I had no idea they had such a genetic history. No one showed me their pedigree. No one showed me what's got into their bloodstream. I had no idea they were such difficult people. Look at them. All the difficulties have come out now. Really, if I'd known this, I would never have saved them in the first place. Now you laugh because it is so ridiculous. Because when the Lord saved you, he not only knew you in your mother's womb, he knew your whole genetic history. He also knew every single thing that's made up you, your personality, your temperament, the culture that is your background, all the problems that you have, your marriage, your business, your career. There is an, it's an open book before the Lord, and he knew it all before he saved you. He knew it before you were even born, and he made a very available to you all the grace commensurate with your problems. So if you've got unique problems, you've got unique grace. And if you have unique power, you have you, uh, unique uh, um, problems, you have unique power. 
It's all available to you. The Lord hasn't rationed out the same grace to everybody and said, now, this is grace for someone to grace. If you have a very difficult history in very difficult circumstances, you have special grace. So you have no excuse. That's what I'm trying to say. Our brother said, oh, he'll get you stirred up tonight. Well, he will, because what I'm saying to you is this. You have no excuse. Don't come and say you can't go on with the Lord, that you're too difficult for the Lord. What are you talking about? Nothing is too difficult for the Lord, not even you. I don't care whether the enemy is doing a war dance in your circumstances. That will not stop the Lord from bringing you from sinner to saint. If you will only give yourself unconditionally to the Lord. Our problem is we only give 30% to the Lord. And we expect on the 30% we give to him that he will be able to turn us into a saint from a sinner on 30%. The Lord says, that's not the bargain. If I save you by grace, I need you completely. Now, if you will trust me wholly with your life, wholly with your circumstances, wholly with your business, wholly with your family, then I will make over to you all the grace in practical terms and all the power in practical terms to bring you from where you are to my end. Here is this wonderful lesson from the life of Samuel. We find it in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10. Dear Hannah, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me, and not forget thy handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. Dear Hannah, she had no child. The one great passion in her life was to have a child. And because they had tried and tried and tried and tried again to have a child, and she had they'd never been able to have one, it was only natural for her to think, if the Lord gives me one child, it will be my only child. Panina had many children. It would have been only natural for Hannah to say about Panina, she has so many. You can take one of hers, Lord. Because when you've taken one of hers altogether to the house of the Lord, she will still have all the others. But Hannah was not like this. She said, if you give me one child, I will give him back to you all the days of his life. Now, we don't have it in the word of God, but in our tradition we do have it, that Hannah instructed Samuel from the earliest days that he was for the Lord. Now, Samuel could have from the earliest days rebelled. 
But we do not get even a breath of suspicion anywhere in the record that Samuel rebelled. We find that when he is taken up, finally when he's weaned to the house of the Lord, he goes seemingly quite happily into it. It is an amazing story. You know, Hannah called her boy in Hebrew, Shmuel. Shem El, the name of the Lord. I think that's the most beautiful thing. Shemuel, Samuel, name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. As if she was saying, this one is yours. He's named with the name of the Lord. He belongs to the Lord all the days of his life. Not 60%, not 80%, not 90%, 100% for the Lord. I don't think I need to labor this point anymore. But it, because it is so simple. But in fact, if you and I are going to bring the king in, if you and I are going to be involved in the kingdom in the days to come, if you and I are going to build the house of God and see the purpose of God fulfilled, we have to be unconditionally given to the Lord all the days of our life. Why do we have such problem on this issue? None of us want to go to hell. <laughs> and I, I, I think it is also true, I imagine that there's not a person in this place tonight who wants a wasted life. If we were to be absolutely honest, and I was to ask you, do you want to be like the Lord Jesus? I think you would say, if you really know him, I think you would say, I do. If I was to say to you, do you really want to come to the end of the Lord for your life? I think you would say to me, I do. Then why do we resist committing ourselves to the Lord? What is wrong with us? I have known so many 30%, 60%, and 80% committed Christians. I've, I've been amongst them all my life. Uh, I, I, and I haven't found any of them happy. They're all neurotic and restless. I mean it. They're all neurotic and restless. Because they've got one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, one foot in, in, in self, as it were, one foot in Christ. They don't know where they are. They are double-minded and unstable in all their ways. They just don't know where to go. So they're neurotic. They have a conscience all the time. They feel they should really be moving with the Lord, but they can't move with the Lord. They feel they should be doing exploits for God, but they can't do exploits for God. So somehow other, there is with them a kind of sense of feeling that A kind of civil war inside. Is that you? You got a civil war inside? I just don't understand. Isn't it amazing? 
I have known, I have been privileged to know those who have unconditionally given themselves to the Lord Jesus with all their weaknesses, with all their failings, and sometimes with all their sins. But they have given themselves 100% to the Lord. These are the people that I've always touched rest in and peace in and joy in and life more abundant in and laughter in and joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, I'm not talking about those artificial, pious, pious stained glass window saints that have those long, drawn faces, pasty white, and dark rings under their eyes, and look as if they're from Mars. <laughs> but that is what most people think is a 100% believer. Blood has to have been taken out of them. They are white. They are anemic. They are spineless. They are somehow, well, they're not human anymore. They, they are some, another order. My dear friends, it's not true. And that's why we often have this kind of resistance in us, because we feel, if I let the Lord have his way in my life, I've got to become one of those artificial, stained glass, pious saints. Unreal. It's not true. It is absolutely not true. You let the Lord have his way in your life and you will discover grace added upon grace. You will be led from grace to grace. You will discover the power of God in your weakness, in all your failing. You will discover the unbelievable, incredible power of God to bring you through and to do in you what should be done in your life. Here then is the first thing I want to underline in this life of Samuel. Unconditionally given to the Lord. I wonder if the Lord could say of you tonight... Named with my name in reality. That one is mine. Not just in position, but in reality. And here is the second thing that I find about Samuel. Of course, you understand all these things overlap. You can't sort of divide them completely. But here is the second thing. If you and I are going to bring in the king, if you and I are going to be involved in the kingdom of God, if we're going to come to the throne of God and to reign with the Lord Jesus or build the house of God, you and I have to be people who hear and obey the Lord. I find it very interesting, this little character uh, that uh, Samuel was, so young. When the Lord said, Samuel, Samuel, he said, here am I. Then he thought, well, it must be Eli that's uh, calling me. 
And he went, went to Eli, and Eli said, no, no, go back to bed. No, no, I've no cold. Don't you think you're dreaming? Boy went back to bed, and again the Lord said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel got up, and he went, you know, three times. And long last, Eli perceived that it was the Lord. Eli wasn't too good at reading the Lord. Uh, you know, he thought Hannah was drunk when she was praying in agony. Uh, you will remember, now here he is again, he doesn't quite, at last he recognizes, and he says, now look, go back, and when the Lord speaks to you, you say, speak, Lord, your servant, your bond slave, hears. This matter of hearing and obeying the Lord is absolutely strategic in the matter of the producing of Christian character. No one can have character produced in them. No one can become Christ-like unless they hear and obey the Lord. Hearing and obeying. Isn't it interesting that after the Lord gave the Ten Commandments, do you know the very first thing he talked about? If a master has a Hebrew bond slave and he wants to leave, he, he doesn't want to leave when his year of Jubilee deliverance comes round, then the Word of God says in Exodus, Chapter 21 and the first six verses. Then that master shall take that servant to the gate and with an awe pierce through his ear. Now I don't want to give any ideas to you young uh, uh, fellows. <clears throat> but of course you might wonder why uh, you, the master pierces with an awe the ear. Because all of you will certainly know that if you pierce a hole in the one person's ear with an awl, it very quickly heals up. But this is where it's good to have a little bit of Jewish tradition. I mean, not all Jewish traditions are nonsense, you know. Um, and uh, this one is, of course, the servant had a gold ring put through his ear. Now, are you young fellows, I don't, I'm not telling you go around and get a gold ear in, ring in your ear any more than I would tell you to have a ring in your nose. But um, the thing is that uh, that was the whole idea of piercing the ear. Everyone knew instantly because they could see the ring in the ear. He is a, a bond slave who has given himself forever to his master. He will never go out of his master's house there like a wedding ring. It's in his ear. Do you understand? Now, isn't it interesting that the Lord never said to the master, and you shall take him to your study and put a gold ring on his finger, stamped with your name. But that would have been perfectly sensible to most of us. We would say, oh, yes, of course, a ring on his finger. This means you see something. After all, a servant has to use his hands, doesn't he? Or if it was in the word, 
the master shall take him to some other place and put a bangle of gold on his ankle. And we would have said, oh, what wonderful typology. Because a servant is always having to walk. He's always having to do things. He's, he's always having to use his feet. But my dear friend, you can have hands that can work and feet that can walk. But if the master doesn't have your ear, you're no use. Oh, how, how much Christian service. Full of energy. Full of works. Full of activity. All kinds of things. But it's not what the Lord has commanded. Many a servant of the Lord today is near to nervous breakdown. Some have had breakdowns. Some are totally worn out. Why? Because they are doing things the Lord has never commanded. This is something for all of us to hear. We're all of us, we can, we can think the need is the call. And we go without hearing. We have hands. We say, I've got strong arms. I've got good hands. My fingers are all uh, 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 dexterous, if you know what that is in good English English. Um, I mean, all these things I can do. I've got, I've got good strong thighs and, and calves and, and feet. I can walk. I haven't got any problems with my feet. But the Lord says, no matter how strong your arms are, how firm your grasp, how strong your legs, if I don't have your ear, you're no use to me. My dear friends, this comes right home to all of us. We will never reach the throne of God by simple activity. We will never reach the kingdom as it were and come to reign with Christ by simply doing things. The whole of the Christian scene is filled with New Testament pattern churches set up with enormous power and dexterity. With, I mean, look at church history. The whole thing is full of it from beginning to end. The Lord needs our ear. Isn't it interesting in the book of Leviticus in chapter 14? You know, you, those of you who know your Bibles will know that in chapter 13 of Leviticus and chapter 14, you have the whole story of the leper. Here is a picture of a sinner. And it tells you exactly, it describes exactly what leprosy is, whether it's in the body, whether it's in clothing, whether it's in the house. And then it comes to the answer to it. And when it comes to the person who is a leper, here is the most amazing thing. Perhaps we better turn to it. Leviticus chapter 14 and verse 14 and 15. And the priest shall take of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take of the log of oil, and pour it into the palm of his own left hand, and the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and shall sprinkle the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord, 
and of the rest of the oil that is in his hand shall the priest put upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. Now, isn't that interesting? First the blood on the ear, then on the thumb, then on the toe. First saved hearing. Saved working, saved going. Do you understand? The whole activity of life, but it begins with the ear. But now we have the Holy Spirit's work. Now the Holy Spirit anoints the ear so we can hear the Lord. It's not only having a new ear. It is an ear that can hear the Lord. And then the hand, and then the foot. It's the same thing all over again. Here is Samuel. Here is the lesson of Samuel. Samuel can hear and obey the Lord. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. When I was young in the Lord, I thank God for a particular old sister who said to me, I was full of questions. And sometimes I would get difficult if they didn't answer me clearly in a way that I could understand. And I would say, well, I don't understand. And I would go on like a dog with a bone worrying. And this dear old Swedish aunt always said to me, those that will do the will of God shall know the doctrine whether it is true. You know, it comes from the Gospel of John. Those that will do the will of God shall know the doctrine. Whether it's, in other words, God doesn't have to reveal anything to you. Only if you're willing to do what he reveals to you will he reveal. Why should the Lord cast pearls before spies? We will turn round and rend it with our own stupidity and foolishness, unless we are prepared to do the will of God, then the Lord will reveal. Now here is an enormous lesson. When the Lord speaks to us, whatever it is, it can be on baptism, it can be on some matter of losing your reputation, it can be perhaps to go and apologize to somebody. Maybe it's something to do with restitution. Sometimes it's to do with worldliness. Sometimes the Lord speaks to us about not going to movies or not going to uh, sport or something else. It's, a, it's what the Lord may be saying to you, maybe not what he's saying to me. But what the Lord might say may cover a whole range of things. Now, the point I'm making is this. When the Lord speaks to you and you disregard it, there is no more speaking of the Lord. So with Samuel, there was at the very beginning of his life a readiness to hear the Lord and to obey him. And this characterized Samuel right through his life. If you look through, as uh, it will take too long, but if I were to take you right through this first book of Samuel, I could show you how the Lord said, 
go to such and such a place and you shall see such and such coming and you shall do this and this and this there. Or go here and go and take, you remember, first with Saul, then with David, all the time the Lord said, you do this. And then it says in different, when the people said this and this, Samuel cried unto the Lord. And the Lord heard him and answered him. In other words, there was about Samuel a, a, a readiness to uh, seek the Lord and hear the Lord and obey the Lord. And that takes us on from step to step. No wonder then, when we come to the last book of the Bible, and to that great message of the risen, ascended, glorified Messiah in the midst of seven churches. To every church, there is the same message. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And when we come to the last chapter of Revelation, we have it again. It's the same refrain. If anyone will hear, why do we not hear? <laughs> if at one time in your life there was a hearing and an obeying, and now it is all gone, one needs to go back to the point where we disregarded the Lord. And hear the Lord. Because that's the point. From which the Lord. Will take us on. Then there is a third great lesson. From the life of Samuel. If you're still with me. And uh, that is. His was a ministry. Supremely. Unto the Lord. It is very interesting that right through this account of Samuel's life, it says again and again and again, and Samuel ministered unto the Lord. Now we would say, if we looked at Samuel and his life, we would say, and Samuel ministered to the people. Samuel ministered to Israel. Samuel was ministering all the time to the children of Israel. But it says not once. I want to take you. Take, take the book of Samuel uh, and just look at a few of these instances. Chapter, 1 Samuel, chapter um, 2 and verse 11. And Delkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Chapter 1, verse 28. Therefore also have I granted him to the Lord as long as he liveth. He is granted to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Look again. Chapter 2, verse 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. Same chapter, verse 26. And the child Samuel grew on and increased in favor, both with the Lord and also with men. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered 
unto the Lord. I think it is, it is not an accident or a coincidence that the scripture says that Samuel ministered to the Lord. Actually, this was before he really came to know the Lord. But the fact that the scripture did not say he ministered to the high priest or he ministered in the temple or to the tabernacle or he ministered to the people but consistently says he ministered to the Lord reveals to us something about the character of Samuel throughout his life. Samuel ministered to the Lord. What does it mean to minister to the Lord? We all know what ministry to his people is. We also all know what ministry to the world is. We know that we're called to go out and make disciples of all nations. We know we're called to preach the gospel in the whole creation. We know that we should have a burden for the world and we should seek to bring the Lord Jesus to the world. This is ministering to the world. We also know that we are called to minister to one another. Here I am, I believe, by the grace of God alone and by the power of the Holy Spirit, ministering to you. I'm ministering, I hope, and trust the word of God to your hearts. We all know that we should minister uh, the word of God. What does it mean to minister to the Lord? That is another dimension of ministry. And it is very rare to find it. I don't think anyone will ever come to the throne of God to rule and reign with Christ who has not learned in some measure to minister to the Lord. How do we minister to the Lord? Spiritual character comes out of this ministry to the Lord. You know, sometimes we can get a kind of self-perpetuating self-perpetuating routine. We can um, get into the whole matter of ministry to the world and before we know where we are it is like wheels within wheels and we can't help it we just go on I mean it's uh, it, it's it's almost uh, uh, perpetual motion I mean you hardly have to do anything it rolls on and takes you with it and so with ministry to the Lord's people those of us who are in the ministry of the word we know the danger of it because there's a, a danger in which we get within wheels within wheels and before we know where we are we're just ministering and ministering and ministering and ministering and there is no ministry to the Lord what is ministry to the Lord first and foremost it's devotion to the Lord absolute devotion to the person of the Lord Jesus. Now, my dear friends, don't misunderstand me. It is quite right to speak of the Lord Jesus as drink, as meat, as water of life, as power, as life. But dear folks, remember, the Lord Jesus is a person. First and foremost, you and I have to minister to him as a person. It is perfectly right 
We have to experience him. We have to live by him. We have to feed on him. We have to appropriate his life and his fullness and his power. But dear friends, never think of the Lord Jesus as an item. As an it. As a life. As a power. He is a person. Ministry to the Lord Jesus means first and foremost a devotion to his person. Many years ago I was in a big conference in London. A certain brother came with a very dramatic message. It was a Donner Oak. And uh, I remember being startled by the clarity of this brother's ministry and, and, and uh, uh, the, the authority somehow, the dogma. It was all to do with, um, with feeding on the Lord and, and, uh, and experiencing the life, Christ as life. And afterwards, a week or two later, I was having time with a very dear old brother. I think Brother Stephen will probably remember him. He was one of the godliest brothers in that company of saints. His name was, I knew him as Brother Oliphant, Kenneth Oliphant. He was one of the most beautiful saints um, uh, that I can remember. And I remember Brother Oliphant saying, what did you think about that uh, time? And I said, well, it was wonderful, I said. I, I was so, I was stunned, I said, by it. Yes, he said. And then in this peculiarly gracious way he had he, he looked up and he said um, but he said I have one problem oh I said a problem you have a problem with that brother yes he said I have one problem not with the brother but with the ministry oh I said what, what is the problem he said you see when you speak about Jesus only as life and only as power, and only as fullness, as someone or something to experience and appropriate, you cannot worship him. He's inside. I could not understand what our brother meant when he said you can't worship him when he's inside. He said, it's a kind of self-worship then. You are Christ, and therefore you worship inside. And he, you can't do it, he said. Worship is objective. I have thought over the years, and I have come to see that much of the problem in many of the movements we have is exactly this. In emphasizing Christ as life and fullness and power and water and bread and everything else, all of which is right, we have forgotten that the Lord Jesus is a person and therefore we cannot worship him in the same way. Ministry to the Lord 
is not just feeding on the Lord. It's not just appropriating the Lord as if he is an it, as if he's a power, as if he's merely instrumental. Ministry to the Lord is to fall before him and worship him, to be lost in wonder, love, and praise. And you can only do that when you're carried out of yourself. You can't do it by looking inside. You have to look away. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Ministry to the Lord. Here was someone who ministered to the Lord. What is ministry to the Lord? It is devotion to the person of the Lord. Absolute devotion to the person of the Lord. Uncompromising devotion to the person of the Lord. Like Daniel, a refusal to eat anything that the Lord would had commanded was unclean, even if it cost him his life. Like those three men who wouldn't bow down to an idol, but said, we know our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, but if he does not, we will not bow down to this idol. This is an uncompromising devotion to the person of the Lord Jesus. And I find it right here within the record. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30. These wonderful words. Um, let me just put it this. I'll read the whole thing for you. Therefore the Lord the God of Israel said. I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father. Should walk before me forever. But now the Lord said, be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor. And those that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Those that honor me, I will honor. Ministry unto the Lord. Honoring him in everything. What is ministry to the Lord? It is worship. I mean by worship not singing a song. Of course it includes that. I mean by worship not just saying thank you for something that God has done. But I mean by worship. The word in its original meaning in English, acknowledging the worthship of the Lord. He is worthy. Some Christians can only, they feel they can only really, what they call worship, when the Lord's done something and they feel now I can thank him, I can worship him. But my dear friends, really to worship the Lord is to see the Lord. And to see the worthiness of the Lord. To see the character of the Lord. Worship is the most wonderful thing in this world. Oh, um, I must uh, resist the temptation to speak for some time on this subject. Men and women were created by God to worship. I don't know if you realize that, 
but that is the most fundamental thing about our creation. We were made to worship, and all human beings worship. If they don't worship God, they worship an idol. And if they don't worship an idol, they worship another human being. And if they don't worship another human being, they worship some sport or, or, or some art or, or, or something. Because every human being has been made and constituted in such a way that he or she has to worship. Marxists worship. <laughs> they worship Lenin. Everybody worships. And Jesus put it in the simplest way. He said, the time has come. God seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, ministry to the Lord is not just ministry to his people and not just ministry to the world. It is a ministry to himself. It is a worshiping of him. It is a wonderful thing when we're carried out of ourselves in worship and sense that the Lord is so here that we forget the people and we forget the place and we're lost in praise and lost in worship. I say this, and I, I, I think I can say it without fear, I hope of contradiction, um, and it is this. Once you have really ever worshipped the Lord, you will never be the same again. You touch something so fulfilling and so deep that you can never be the same again. Why is that? I don't know if I'm speaking to those who have had no experience of this, but if you've ever experienced you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is this, when you really move out of yourself, forget yourself, Forget your circumstances and you worship the Lord. You are actually fulfilling the thing for which you were created. And that's why that deep sense of peace and joy comes into your spirit. Ministry to the Lord. Now there are many other things I could talk about. I could talk about faithfulness to the Lord. Samuel is is proverbial for his faithfulness. You remember, he could have so easily compromised on so many things, but because of his ministry to the Lord, he was absolutely faithful. You know, the Lord said um, in, in, in the same chapter 2 and verse uh, 35, And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. This is such a beautiful picture of, of Samuel in his ministry to the Lord, faithful in everything that God gave him to do, watching over the work of the Lord. And of course, prayer and intercession. But that leads me to my next point. Won't be very much longer now. Uh, 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 ministry to the Lord is intercession. Now it's not prayer, intercession. Prayer can be requests, 
And requests can be very selfish. And don't, don't have a bad time about this. The Lord says you have not because you ask not. Prayer is prayer. It's a pouring out of the heart. Sometimes it's, Lord, I need so-and-so. Lord, I'm in trouble. This is prayer. But intercession is never to do with myself. It is always standing in the presence of the Lord for his interest and his purpose and his burden. That is intercession and that is ministry to the Lord. That is the highest dimension in prayer. When we learn to read the mind of God I, and, I, and are identified with the mind and will of the Lord, the heart of the Lord, and stand with him in the secret place against all the powers of darkness and evil for the fulfillment of that purpose and will. That is ministry to the Lord and that is Samuel. Oh, the sorrows that Samuel had the disappointments Samuel had, the disillusionments uh, uh, that Samuel had all the way through his ministry and life. He was disappointed again and again, disappointed with the people of God, disappointed with Eli, disappointed with his own sons, disappointed with Eli's sons, disappointed with Samuel's own sons, disappointed with Saul. And if he had lived long enough, he would have been disappointed with poor David. I don't think Samuel, he would have broken his heart, what David did with Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba. But Samuel never grieved in a wrong way. He went to the Lord and he stood before the Lord for the interests of the Lord. Right the way through to the end, my dear friends, look at the record if you've got your Bible with you. Chapter 7, uh, verse 3. And uh, Samuel, um, sorry, I'm sorry, uh, verse 5. Chapter 7, verse 5. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mitzpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mitzpah. Verse 8. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And uh, Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten down before Israel. Take chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 7. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and to your fathers. Verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and right way only fear the Lord and serve him in truth 
with all your heart to consider how great things he hath done for you. End chapter 15. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 11. It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And Samuel was wroth, and he cried unto the Lord all the night. Well, my dear friend, here you've got a picture of a, of a man. You have a character that God is producing. I want to say this. I believe that this prayer life of Samuel came out of a history with the Lord and out of deep experience of the Lord. That is intercession. You can't just intercede when you obey. Because intercession is travail and travail has to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And if there is not that conception of the Holy Spirit within, there can be no travel and therefore no intercession. And the problem is, you cannot conceive till you're a certain age. Here then is a character you can't be an intercessor and be self-centered. I don't know this word intercession is banded around in Christian circles today. And it, and it describes anything. But real intercession comes out of a selfless, sacrificial life with the Lord. And this is Samuel. To be involved in bringing in the king or the kingdom of God, to come to the throne of God, I believe involves you and me in being intercessors. There is nothing more unglamorous in one sense, unromantic, unsensational than intercession. All the other great aspects of service can be more clearly seen by people. But intercession is something which only really God sees. Well, I don't know, is this too much for us all tonight? Right at the very beginning you have this character of Samuel. He shines in a way that not even David or Solomon shines. It's almost as if at the very beginning this turning point God is saying this is the kind of man that I want for king. He didn't actually become king but this is real kingship. This is spiritual royalty. This is the kind of character that has to come to the throne. This is the character of an overcomer. So my dear friends, we'll leave Samuel tonight. The first of these studies that I will 
has a responsibility for. It is interesting to me that Samuel had a circuit. Whether we like it or not, we all have circuits. We don't always like it, we rebel against it, we like to feel that we are sort of special personalities and that we can break out of the routine, but every single life has a circuit. The question is this, what kind of circuit have you got? Have you got the circuit that's going round and round in the wilderness? for 40 years and getting nowhere? Or do you have that circuit that begins at Bethel? Bethel, the house of God in Hebrew, and ends in Ramah, the heights of the Lord. Here is Samuel's circuit. Listen. Bethel, Bethel, Gilgal, Gilgal, Mitzpah, Rama, and his whole long life was a circuit. Bethel, Gilgal, Mitzpah, Rama, Bethel, Gilgal, Mitzpah, Rama, Bethel, Gilgal, Mitzpah, Rama. His whole life. It began in the house of God. That's one great emphasis in the ministry of Samuel. Everything was toward the house of the Lord. In his day, the house of the Lord was just a tent. In fact, for much of his life, the ark of the Lord was separated from the tent of meeting. It was disordered, confusion. It was not as God wanted. But the whole of Samuel's life, listen to me, in days of disorder and confusion was lived in the light of building the house of God. The second emphasis in his ministry was Gilgal. Gilgal in Hebrew means a wheel, rolling. Galil, the Galil. Galilee, you say in English. The wheel. Golgolet, Golgotha. A round skull. Gilgal, rolling. Why rolling? Because the Lord rolled off the reproach of his people at Gilgal. Do you remember what happened? They took 12 stones, each one representing one of the tribes of Israel, and they buried them in the river Jordan when it was parted. And then they took 12 stones from the bed of the river, and they put them up on, in Gilgal. And then the river flowed back. In other words, you can't ever serve God with an uncrucified self-life. Then they kept, then they were circumcised. And then they kept the Passover. Gilgal, 
We have to come back to it. Our brother said it earlier. That's the only way to rest in the Lord. You can't rest in the Lord if you don't know Jesus as the Lamb of God. You can't rest in the Lord if you don't know what it is to be justified through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. If you don't know what it is to have your sins cancelled and blotted out, no more to be remembered. How can you rest in the Lord? Nor can you rest in the Lord if you have an aggressive, ambitious, jealous self-life. An egocentric self. Only when you know what it is to have been crucified with Christ and alive to him, that's Gilgal. And mitzpah. Mitzpah in Hebrew means watchtower. A watchtower. What is a watchtower? Intercession. Watching. Oh, how the Lord said we were to watch. Here is Samuel, his whole life is spent watching. Watching for the interests of God. Watching the movements of the Lord's Spirit. Watching for the enemy's tactics. Watching out for the strategies of Satan. Watching, watching, watching. Here is the third emphasis in the ministry of Samuel. And finally, Rama. <laughs> That's the height. Ram means a height. Rama is just a height. You can never come to the throne of the Lord unless you have the house of the Lord in your heart. As one of the psalmists put it so beautifully, in whose heart are the highways to Zion? There is no way that you can come to the throne of God unless you have the house of God in your heart, unless you know the work of the cross by the Spirit of the Lord, and unless you know something of real intercession and ministry to the Lord. Here then is the life. Of May God make us Samuel. Shall we pray? Lord, we bow here in your presence and we, we feel when we think about it, Lord, oh, how far short we come of what you want. But Lord, there is one thing we can do, and that is to give ourselves unconditionally to you. Help us, Lord. That is the fundamental and essential thing. And you know, Lord, so often we have some kind of hesitation, some battle here over just simply giving ourselves unconditionally to you not just sentimentally but Lord some of us it's our intellect that needs to be sacrificed to you and some of us it's something else in our life that just needs to go it's holding us back Lord help us by your spirit to identify what it is that is holding us back from going the whole way with you. And help us, Lord, simply to give ourselves to you without condition. 
Dear Lord, work in all our hearts and lives and make this message this evening a living reality to every one of us. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.